I'm recording. You recording, Sandy? You recording? Everybody's recording. It's been a while, but didn't warm up that voice. <laughs> That's right. Keep it warm because guess what? It's Saturday. No, no, it's not Saturday. I'm not supposed to say that. We <laughs> <laughs> don't know the day of the week. Uh. It's April 24th, 2016. I'm I'm Ryan. I'm Sandy. And you're listening to Pixels Weekly. What's up, everybody? Pixels Weekly. You did it different this time. We did it. You did it. Pixels Weekly. Pixels Weekly. Fellow Americans. Hi there. I should just talk like this the whole show. Oh, that'd be great. (laughs) Look at Talk Show. I've been playing too much Ratchet and Clank. It's uh, (laughs) Captain, uh, Captain Quark. With giant, beautiful pectoral muscle. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, let's kick in a hodgepodge. I'm going to dive right in. We're so excited about video games. We've got plenty plenty of games that we um, played this week. I've been playing Ratchet and Clank. Uh, you guys heard me receive it last week on, on the show. And uh, the second that we stopped recording, I put it in my system and it hasn't left. Ratchet and Clank's a great game. So for people that don't know, it's a PlayStation 4 game. Uh, it's from Insomniac, the makers of Sunset Overdrive, as well as all the previous Ratchet and Clank games. And it's kind of a reboot. It's supposed to go along with a movie. It didn't make me want to watch the movie. I'm sorry, Insomniac. <laughs> um, but what it really is is a great game, and I'm so glad that a game like this is getting made in 2016. A character platformer where you're playing as some sort of cool, hip alien dude or you know just a cute it's everything is kind of cute everything looks stunning just absolutely gorgeous graphics Uh, it looks like a pixar cartoon nearly the entire time i'll I'll try and show some of you guys some gameplay i'm sure you've already seen it it's really good and you go through levels the level design is really great levels continuously kind of grow and get bigger in complexity and you unlock things and you upgrade your weapons and sort of a hexagonal grid sort of layout Um, but i really love it and uh, i think the characters are you know they're fine i don't i don't necessarily get super invested in in characters um like individual characters in the storylines of these type of games but uh, i always feel connected to the character that i'm playing as in the end like i do you know you want mario to win you want ratchet to win you want crash bandicoot to win if anyone's listening please make a new crash bandicoot game (laughs) this this game proves that that you can make these type of games now they're still engaging they're still fun and i gotta tell you i am super happy to not be grinding rpg style or wandering around an open world it just feels so refreshing to like level one play beat it level two play and i'm the type of person that 
I want to collect every bolt and get everything in these type of games because I know it's within a respecting my time scope of like I can do everything in say 15 or 20 hours as opposed to you know I'm streaming Final Fantasy as you guys know and in Final Fantasy 7 doing everything is a hundred hours or you know of time which is just crazy how many hours do you need to beat it did you beat it already I can't tell there's I've probably been through a dozen or so levels is it like it's so I know that for those franchises at some point you they always have to stick to some classic mechanics classic weapons or stuff like that what are yeah. what are the new stuff about this one? Because I never played any Ratchet and Clank, or maybe I've I've like maybe put my hands on one at, at some friend's place back in the days a long time ago. I think Clank, this is the fourth one, fourth one. Uh, but it is it is a reboot. So if this is your first one, totally fine. It's my first one. Uh, apparently, they have taken some characters throughout the older games and kind of meshed them into an amalgamation in this game. Um, brought them forward, the characters that people like, and kind of gotten rid of characters people don't like. So everything about it feels like that. It feels very streamlined, very polished. Right. Um, it's great because it's not only a platformer, but it is an action shooter. Um, and the way you level up guns in the game is totally based on usage. So the more you use a gun, this you'll see, oh, it's reached level two or it's reached level three. It feels great. It happens organically. And sometimes in a pinch, when you're almost out of ammo, the gun will level up and it refills its ammo. And you're like, yes, <laughs> saved me. Such a good feeling. You're like, I didn't have to think about that. <laughs> God. <laughs> exactly. Um, I am playing. This is this is a new thing for me. I decided to. I just was on the menu screen and having this crisis of like, should I play this game on a hard like I'm I'm a person who's not afraid to throw a game on easy and just experience the story or whatever that the game has to offer. But uh I I picked hard for whatever reason and I'm dying a lot and <laughs> that's that's okay. That's that's usually what hard is. Yeah. It feels hard. Um enemies are genuine genuinely challenging. It's it's never it never feels out of reach. It never feels really unfair. And there's a lot of great things that break up the action, like there are space shooter levels where you're inside your spaceship and you're dogfighting, uh, and those are really cool. Um, and there are also uh, on-rail segments where you're literally grinding on rails and flipping back and forth between them and doing sort of uh, Tony Hawk ask grinding challenges and then speaking of that there's also racing in the game hoverboard racing and so you can actually compete in the hoverboard race and i I certainly insomniac mastered a lot of their rail grinding stuff with uh with sunset overdrive last year on xbox one but each one of these feels good enough to be the main mechanic of the game like the racing is cool it's a little floaty uh the grinding is really great i think if a little bit more complexity and you can make a full game out of that and and then the shooting is really good so all in all i i'm just really really having a good time and, and i know that i'm getting towards the end i think i might be paused in the background i don't know if you can hear it but i think that's the final mission of the game and i'm going to be sad to see it go <laughs> i'm finishing it after this recording so let's get rid of it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and 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 hey maybe i can uh send via usps 
you guys the disc and you can uh, I would love that share no, sorry I would love that if you finish it yeah because I but shot. but also I mean or maybe I can just buy a copy for myself because tell us the price it's 40 bucks it's 40 that's, bucks that's crazy yeah it's, you know it's a full game. game I thought it was like and, it's a full game it's a franchise it's a it's not that one indie game so I was kind of shocked and happily surprised that it was at only at 40 bucks which I'm sure then I don't know six months it could be 20 or 15. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, like if you are a Best Buy Gamers Club Unlocked, whatever they call it, and uh, or an Amazon Prime customer, Amazon Prime, it, uh, it may still be in this time bracket of a new game, is straight up 20% off mm. brand new video game. So that's $31 for people who buy Ratchet and Clank. Wow. And that is, as far as I'm concerned, nearly free for this it's kind of game. Still, yeah. I don't understand... Why this game was that cheap? I don't. I don't know if it was just they really wanted to move units to promote the, the movie. I think that's what it is. They wanted, they want kids and parents to be like, hey, pay twenty dollars for a movie ticket and pay forty dollars for the game. Yeah, yeah. and then so the it's, summation. It's an, it's an easy sell. Yeah. Right. Well, I get it, but I I would happily give uh, give them another twenty dollars for the game and. Heck, I mean, I think if you borrow my disc and you like it, just buy yourself uh, a copy or, you know, send them a check. <laughs> send them a check. Send them a check. Nobody does that, I'm sure. Just, dear Insomniac, What's here a check? is 40 USD. Hold on, I'm going to have to what? fix the bathroom, close the door or something, because the bathroom is going to be in that state and make that background noise. Hold on. Is the water yeah, running? Yeah, the water is running. I got to fix Is that. it like a... It's a jiggle handle, jiggle handle. <laughs> <laughs> what? What was that last part? Whoa. I don't know. He makes that sound a lot. He makes a lot of weird sounds. <laughs> so, do you? Um, there's no offline mode, right? It's all like there's no co-op. It's all single player. There's no online mode, co-op, online, local. I don't know. I don't think so, though. Huh. I don't think so. There might be something of a side game in terms of, like, the racing might be, like, a two-player split-screen thing built into it. But I think it is just single-player, offline, and, and in so many ways, the game feels anachronistic like that. It just feels like something that is a PS2 sort of experience only right. with really state-of-the-art Classics, graphics. yeah. Cool. What do you guys have for HodgePodge? This week has been really... I wouldn't say slow, but there's a lot of stuff going on. It's slow, but it's fast. It's slow, but it's fast. You've got it's a fast PAX weekend, East yeah. going on right now in Boston, so everyone's losing their bananas for what's going on there. Supergiant Games just announced their third game, Pyre, so I'm super excited for that. I loved Bastion, and I love Transistor. I watched Bastion being played, but I did play Transistor. And I fell in love with that game so much that I bought pretty much everything relating to that game. <laughs> yeah, I've really, I've, really loved this company, and uh, Pyre Pyre looks great. And I'm also super mm-hmm. excited to uh, play Severed uh, by the guys who made uh, Drinkbox games, the guys who made Guacamelee. Oh, Guacamelee is so much fun. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, we've got the Manila Majors for Dota 2, and that's the final major before the internationals. So that's going on in the Philippines. We've got Re- 
Apple Kumite, which is a huge tournament because all the original big Japanese gamers that are really relevant in Street Fighter are, are making their debut for Street Fighter V. And I believe it's the first time Daigo is in a tournament, and he's known as the Beast. <laughs> he's a very nice Japanese man who will kill you in Street Fighter. A very he's nice a beast. Japanese man. <laughs> they're, they're all really nice guys and gals. Because my hodgepodge is also about a new game that I played this week. It's not, it didn't come out this week. It came out the week before. But I started playing Dark Souls 3. I never played any of the Dark Souls, uh, Dark Souls 1 or 2. But I started playing those kind of games uh, with Bloodborne. And I still haven't finished Bloodborne. I'm still angry about about it. I'm still mad at myself for not being able to finish that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he started another game, guys. And that's why <laughs> he started he another so game of the mad. same kind. So the way the I see it, so the way I see it is that I, I, get, I, I see this new opportunity with, like, you know, fresh eyes and full of hope. And I will hope that that journey with, like, that I'm embracing would give me the energy to go back and beat Bloodborne once and for all. I'm trying You're to build them. I'm hoping that Dark Souls with you on will that, on part of that journey. Soul. I would like to Dark Soul 3 to lighten my soul. You want a light soul. I want a light soul. I don't want a dark one. But I'm going to use the Dark Souls game. I don't think that's how those games work. So you can be, once you have a light soul, you can be Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah. You, we, we prepare our show very well, but that's not that's what we prepared. Right. We didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Um, he, he wasn't. He got... But the game, you should tell him about your, your stream this morning, because that was Yeah, so my hilarious. stream this morning was a little bit of a failure, so I was teasing a few of my friends standing on YouTube, and then you were very kind. And uh, I was so excited to play this game, but I thought that if I pre-ordered in the morning when I wake up from my phone and I just redeemed the code on the PlayStation Network, it was because my console is on rest mode, it would automatically download it, download it on my console and it didn't mm. when I had breakfast turning on and it was not even started. So I had to kind of like get it started, uh, put it back on rest mode, check an hour later so that was already oh, wow. uh, a few part of my morning gone and I'm like, okay, I can play. And so the thing is that there's a first part that gets downloaded and there's like another 19 gigs that needs to be application data that, the, that needs to be downloaded after and so I had my first part downloaded and that first part only uh, let you access so I played through uh, the uh, that first area if people I don't want to spoil it for people that that you know that go in but you meet a boss early on I beat that boss first try I was like oh that's that's not the dog from that's not the dog wolf or whatever the lone wolf from Bloodborne that trolls you and kills you right at the beginning um, I felt pretty confident. I got to my first, uh, I lit a few bonfire here and there. I went to the main camp. And this nice. is when the game told me, it was like, hey, dude, you can't travel. You don't have the whole game yet. I was like, okay. <laughs> then he was there tuning in and always gone disappointed. So I was like, at that point, there's still a few gigs. So I played Pro Force. Um, but this is not about Pro Force. But Pro Force was, I think, more raging than Dark Souls. I was terrible at it. You know the uh, the you died thing that you see all the time. Yeah, the you died is the same. I just, <laughs> He's he squished himself. Uh, that, let's that not talk about Bro- 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 Bro-
I want to talk about the Diablo <laughs> game that's gonna make me rage a little bit. And no, I mean, I like compare. See, I have to compare it to Bloodborne because obviously they're two very similar games, and even in the UI and you know the way the character opened doors, it's the same way. The way I just like the they did a little bit more work on the sound effects. I feel like the sound effects are a little bit more polished. Like when you slay through or an enemy with your axe, like you can hear the blood, you know, spreading all over your armor or whatever. So I took uh, exactly, and I, it, it's like it's more warning that somehow it makes you feel like you do more damage and you're more powerful. Um, but yeah, I chose the class Pyromancer. I did like a all black, but like like black, like painted black skin. Uh, with like a tattoo on his forehead and like he's bold but he has a huge beard. He's like that weird magician guy that you might find in Game of Thrones, you know, once mm-hmm. in a while. Um, and uh, a pyromancer, so I, I'm able to spell cast and, and throw a firebolt, you know, firebolt. I, I want to have a different experience than Bloodborne where it's just more like, um, you know, weapons and guns and like more like, um, I wanted to keep that distance, you know, aspect of the game where I, I can shoot from a distance and, and spelling cast was something cool that I thought I would do and um, so yeah I'm at that part where I'm a little bit after a little bit after the first checkpoint the main base and I'm slaying slaying dudes I like the visceral attacks the the, the critical attacks that are really uh, different from Bloodborne it's not like you shoot and you stagger them it's like you have to go behind them so it's a little bit more dodging um, compared to when Bloodborne was a little bit more forgiving, if you were mastering the gun, you would like be able to stagger every enemy on your way, and um, and and if you had the mechanics and the frame timing right, you would be able to like yeah stagger them and give them the visceral attack that would probably one shot them for most of them. Uh, but I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm I'm happy to go back into a game that I mean, feels like it once again. It feels like Bloodborne, but I know and I've watched a couple of streams, we talked about it last week on the show, the bosses are really, the boss design are really gorgeous, like, some of the bosses are like, nope, I'm just going to let you live, you're too gorgeous, or, you know, you're too, you're too big, uh, you're, you're gorgeous, like, you're gorgeous. Monster, look at you, like, I don't know. Things I never thought when seeing anyone play that game. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, and I, the enemies, you know, I'll, I'll see, but I know, uh, the enemies are always like super original, and uh, the enemies already go super far. Even if you like an hour or two in the game, you you got some like transformation of enemies, and you know there's like a giant snake head that comes out of a skeleton. You're like, wait, how did that come out of your body? Like, <laughs> I don't see it coming out. Like, I don't see it. it doesn't fit. Like that whole body moving on top of you, it's not. It cannot be in there. So. Uh, can't wait to go back into it this weekend. All right, guys, we have uh, some a little bit serious stuff this week for editorial. Uh, there has been some controversy uh, in the games industry from game developers and uh, game, I guess, directors slash producers, if you will, uh, over some articles written by a man named Alex St. John. This is uh, a guy who worked at uh, Wild Tangent, and he also worked uh, on the DirectX team at Microsoft for a while. But uh, essentially, uh, the the ins and outs of this is there was a, an article that was published 
by Kate Edwards, uh, who's the director of the International Game Developers Association, or the IDGA, where they sent out a survey uh, to game companies to see what type of, to their developers at different game companies, to see what kind of time crunch things were they going through. Now, time crunch or just crunch uh, for people who are not in the tech industry or, I mean, it's a familiar concept for any employed person, but it's essentially, in the games industry, it specifically refers to hours that are beyond the 40 hours a week that a salary employee is paid for that are saying, hey, you have to work this night, hey, you have to work this weekend. It's never documented that you have to, but it is very much implied from the employer that you have to, and this is time that you will not be compensated for. Now, sometimes a company will do like, hey, we'll buy you dinner, or we'll buy you pizza, and... Uh, you know, sometimes they will, you know, thank people later with bonuses or comp days or something, but none of that's guaranteed. It's essentially asking you to work overtime for free, and this is a pretty standard practice throughout the entire games industry and some of the tech industry, especially around the end of a project. So she sent out this survey to developers at games companies, and... 37% of developers said they have experienced this crunch time, which is a, a really large amount. So she, she said, we always ask, and I don't expect the answer to change, about the cause of crunch. It's pretty consistent. Devs cite poor project management, inexperienced managers, things like feature creep and feature creep is when people start adding features to a project at the last minute that make it take longer than it would because the everything that you add takes time and she said those are usually the big ones essentially this article comes out that is pretty damning and and it's and it's the IDGA wants to not just highlight companies that are doing things right and either fairly compensating their employees or having very clear policies about it or simply project plan and manage better to ones that are really bad at it. They want to be able to to broadcast that too because as a developer, you kind of want to know what you're getting into when you go to work for one of these companies. Alex St. John, who is one of these director types <laughs> essentially writes a blog post on his personal website uh, saying things like, and let me give you a couple quotes here. Many modern game developers have embraced a culture of victimology and a bad attitude towards their chosen vocations. They complain that the long hours and personal sacrifices great games require are a consequence of poor management they want to pretend that they can't turn an inherently entrepreneurial endeavor like game development into a nine-to-five job. Uh, we could let me start here. I have major problems with that statement, but we'll 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 circle back and and talk about it together. I can't begin to imagine how sheltered the lives of modern technology employees must be to think that any amount of hours they spend pushing a mouse around for a paycheck is really demanding strenuous work. There's nothing that can compensate people fairly for sacrifices that great art requires. It's art. Don't be in the games industry if you can't love the 80 hours a week of it. 
you're taking a job from somebody who would really value it. Okay, so that's a whole bunch of holy cow stuff. Uh, stuff that starts a fight. Yeah, stuff that <laughs> starts that a fight. Is. And it did start a fight. So suddenly people from all across the industry were coming out and damning this person. Not least of which, a few days later, Alex's daughter came out against him. And, and I don't know about you guys, but if you're a father and your daughter can't defend you, that's really something that you you kind of don't have uh, a leg to stand on and his daughter Amelia writes uh oh i'm sorry god <laughs> fuck i fucked it up uh no that's okay she writes on the blog they uncovered extremely distasteful recruiting sides and supplemental blogs with revolting opinions regarding women, minorities, and mentally handicapped in the tech industry. Since the findings, countless others and I have found ourselves at a loss for words at how anyone, especially someone in a position of power, can think that it's acceptable to broadcast such offensive material. This toxic waste trash fire, not only associated with my last name, but also my face, I felt compelled to respond to my father's sexist, ableist, and racist rants. And she's referring to, and get, get ready for this one, guys. Alex St. John wrote in his article, kids, not, not this particular article, but this is also on his website, kids conforming to the Asperger nerd syndrome stereotype are ripe for exploitation. And at one point he compares <laughs> offices of big employers to concentration camps designed to keep the wives and girlfriends of coders happy with amenities like gyms. So, first of all, we'll start off with a huge nod to uh, Polygon for covering the story and bringing it to light, and uh, obviously the industry as a whole. But I, I don't know about you guys, but when I heard about some of this stuff, I got upset, and I'm not even in the video games industry. I'm just in the tech industry. How about you? He just said some things where you're just like, what is what? And then that kind of brings to me the um, what we what we're dealing with now as millennials is that we're being told that we're super entitled. And but we were promised these nine to five jobs and these this is what you need to really have a fulfilling life. And now that we've come of age, that's not true. And I don't think we're looking for a nine-to-five job. We're looking for a job that's fulfilling, that we love. And if we're willing to dedicate and put the hours into it, there should be some kind of compensation for it as well. These AAA titles, these games where people are working 80 hours, they don't see their family, they don't see their kids, they don't really have a life outside of the developing a game. That's really shitty. That's not that's not a life. You're not doing what you're lo- you're doing what you love but at a price. Yeah. And if it's truly art, I don't know an artist that suffers like that. That's like, "Oh, yes, I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to work all these hours, and, but I'm going to get paid for that movie and then I'm going to have some significant amount of downtime so I can have that relationship with my family or I can can develop relationships with friends and things like that and i don't think with games it's 
okay, that game's done. What's next? And it's always the what's next, what's next, what's next, which has people working more than they probably should. Yeah, I, can, I would love to hear you chime in here for, for people don't that don't know. And, and I don't want to necessarily bring our jobs and our employers into this, but we are in this group that St. John is talking about of people who push a quote unquote, push a mouse around for a paycheck, right? All of our work is done primarily on computers. And I can tell you that there are, at least from my personal perspective, there are certainly days where I come home with a level of exhaustion that doesn't feel like all I did that day was push a mouse around. And and I don't know if it's because of the jobs can be mentally taxing uh, or what, but certainly these jobs can be strenuous work. I'll start by saying this. And I, I, sound, I just sound like Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the the banks don't care about you. <laughs> I'll start by saying this. Uh, no, but more seriously, the first point that I wanted to make, and as I process, you know, this story still right now, and the first time I read about it, I saw a tweet about it, um, and when you brought it up to us this week to prepare to prep the show, um, the thing that the thing that strikes me the most is that because it's an art, you should feel okay about it, like because it's an art. But the, like like Sandy said, artists, you know, don't feel that pressure. From a publisher, from a, a developer, games can be, and the budget that they involve, especially for AAA games, can now be compared to movies, right? And you're not, maybe for motion captures, even not all the time, you're not really paying real actors. The actors that the money that you put it on is on the developers that you're paying. Uh, I'm not going to go through the thing where they are underpaid or overpaid or whatnot, but just for the work-life balance. Any job that you that you work on, if it's eight as much as you love it, eighty hours a week, you can't you can let's not say like you're gonna start hate it because some people you know will love and will have that energy all the time, but it's very draining and I'm sure you'll do less good work over time if you keep on doing that eighty hours. You can pull it up for some time, sure. um, but like you said, it's not just moving a mouse around. I don't know where this dude is getting at and i'm sure he also tried to you know probably when he wrote that draft he, he, he made a point at really being a little bit more dramatic and a little bit more provocative than he wanted to be uh he may have wanted to um to be a little you know to be a little controversial and thought-provoking you know um, he says that i think you're giving him too much credit he's to me he's super entitled he thinks that this is how the world should work and that's not the case no no so so that's what so that's what i'm saying i'm not i'm not i'm not really defending him i'm just trying to get that yet start start a conversation about it because i I don't think we'll grow uh smarter and as better person if we just focus on his racist and feminist you know uh, assessments Sure. I mean, those those views are, like, clearly bad. Like, don't exploit someone based on, uh, you know, a, a mental handicap, if you will. But I, I, there, I think when I read this, what upset me the most is the truth in the opinion. And, and, and it's almost like the way you'll see uh, very commonly somebody who uh, is, say... 
somebody who is I don't I dare I use the term racist, but a racist person might claim not to be racist, but surely holds the series of thought and beliefs that are in line with that. And I think that if you sat down and took someone who was born in say 1950 or nine, even 1960 and explain to them my job is all on computers this person might think that you have a a baby job you know they think that computers are not quote real work right a real job is a construction job or a real job is this sort of there's a physical labor aspect to it or there's a you know pounding the pavement hours on the phone aspect to it I was just like completely disgusted at the insinuation that that somebody who is doing development is doesn't does not have a hard job. Yeah, so I think uh, you know the industry itself has to, and if if the survey is right and um, about the amount of work that people put on, and to move away and kind of like bring it to a general topic and and not just talk about what he what he mentioned, not just to talk about uh, what he, you know, his provocative, provocative talk about, you know, those people being, have, have to be okay working eight hour, 80 hours a week. There should be much more, like, this all falls down to more training of the managers in those video game companies or the directors being pressured by the publishers. Um, yeah the main focus of them as much as they want to make great games is to keep protected the work-life balance of their employee just like it happens and and just like it's promoted in some of the tech companies that you and I work in and uh, I just feel like in um, there's that disparity between the tech world where engineers are more considered compared to the game world where we don't we don't really understand the implication of it like the game comes into a, a disc a packaging and is delivered to you all in all in once and most of the time now it starts to be this way they but but most of the time they don't get updated is like on this date you ship a finished product uh, well the tech world is a little bit different you you send release you send stuff that are finished but you can keep on update update maintain and monitor that and you know have a continue a more continuous work on what you on the project. Video Although that's games, becoming that's becoming increasingly common in video games. The it is becoming patches common, yes. and such. Yeah, but I feel like the, the majority on the design of the designers that work on the game before it's released are not really the ones that are working on those patches. That's worth noticing as well. Uh, the big piece is all the graphics, all the you know, all the game design, creating the worlds, creating the characters, their moves, and everything, and. Uh, and yeah, those 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 jobs are really hard, and they require a lot of skills as much as as much as you know we can underestimate it, and we tend to forget. And you and I, I'm sure, when we dive into a game or when we see bugs or where we see um, you know a failed launch or we see uh, some parts of the game that are buggy or some testing that hasn't been done right, you have a little bit of empathy. You're like, it's, I mean, that's okay. I mean, it's you know, sure. it's not that bad. People are behind this, so people will do mistakes, and I feel like we're a little bit, the industry and the people around games are a little bit, they should be more forgiving, um, not that 
not that companies should should um, not that companies should ship uh, games that are broken is not what I'm saying, but that publishers and game developers companies should just be a little bit more flexible and a little bit more aware of their employee out there. I think that there's there's something to the games industry that many places in the tech industry have in common, which is there are some there are some groups that their mission are quote unquote diametrically opposed to one another, but they have to work together. For example, right? If you're going to market something, if you're going to market a game, especially a triple A game like The Division or Halo Five or something, you are going to dump millions of dollars by a ton of commercials. You're going to have to make a ton of commercials. You're going to have to set out a plan of when these things are going to run, when people are going to order these things, when people are going to be able to buy it, when are we going to show it, how much are we going to show, what weeks X, Y, or Z will happen. These are all marketing-based events, and they're all based on dates and deadlines. Yeah, but everything... Everything, every product has a date and a deadline. So I think the issue that we are seeing here is a greater issue as a whole. The tech industry and the gaming industry is very, very young. The people that work in these industries, also very young. So I have a fiancé. I don't have kids. But I can devote 60, 70, 80 hours a week to my job. Because I don't have any attachments that prevent me from just putting myself entirely into my job. But as I get older and as that changes, it you're going to see the shift. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a shift in where we're not young anymore. We want that work-life balance that we didn't realize was a thing that we should have had to begin with. And now we're being punished because we were always told work, 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 and this is what's going to make you happy. And that's it. I think that's an American issue fundamentally. It's we work 40 hours a week. We have weekends off. We don't really manage our times in a very – we don't manage our times well at all. I mean, you work 10 to 7, 9 to 6. What are you going to do? You wake up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, you go to sleep, you repeat. Right. And that's not really functional for a proper work-life balance. And in the games industry and in tech, it's even worse because we spend, we leave, we get to the office at 9 o'clock. Sometimes we don't leave till 9 o'clock in the evening. And then we're repeating that cycle again. So we're, it's, he's, he's kind of wrong, but he's also like, he's being able to abuse things that we've, allowed to to kind of happen if that makes sense right he's very interested in maintaining the status quo and and i think that i understand your point about getting older and such but if you are a 22 year old recent college graduate and you go and get a job you should be able to not have the expectation of i need to be here 80 hours a week like sandy you're a very hard-working person and if you want to be at your job for 40 50 60 hours Great. Or maybe that's the amount of hours that you feel takes you to do that job. Either way, that should be more your prerogative than, well, I have to stay 
because I mean, as you guys know, you get into situations where maybe every other person around you is staying. So now there's a social pressure to stay or there'll be a situation where everybody's kind of staying because the implication is that, oh, well, one day Mike or XYZ didn't stay and now Mike's not here anymore. So there are certainly there are certainly aspects of this that I think fall onto the employer. I mean, I, I think this is majority uh, an employer problem and not a developer problem as, as much as we can say, oh, it's our fault for doing it in the first place. I, I feel like that's to me, that sounds almost like victim like behavior. I'm like, oh, well, I he hits me, but <laughs> I kind of invoke it from him. Right, right, definitely, which is why it is up to the project managers and leadership in that sense to go, hey, listen, I want to make sure I'm getting the best work out of you, so go home. And I don't think that's happening in the games industry because maybe yeah. there's huge pressure of get this done, get this done now. But also add this, this, and this, and you have people with the inability of saying no, or you have people who are too much into the creative side and not enough into the people management side, which is what happened with Irrational Games and Ken Levine. Ken Levine is an extremely creative person, and he's brilliant, but Bioshock Infinite almost was not a thing because he couldn't get his stuff together. Yeah, yeah that's, what I, that's what I meant. Is like We need managers to be trained to be able to tell their teams team members go home go home i'll see you fresh in the morning we'll make this work you don't need to stay you know you don't need to stay or stick around or whatnot it's funny that you said that yannick because you even kind of illustrated this weeks back when we were talking about the witness and then we went into that that story about the rat and how after it slept it was better at the maze and how after we sleep, we're better at solving the puzzle. Yeah, right. Your subconscious is still working on it. So, but we were, I mean, and and it's, and it's a thing that those people that work in the game industry, I don't feel like they, most of them, if they get into there, they had to have a college degree, you know, an image design, graphic design, all this stuff. They know how to manipulate those tools. They sure do keep learning. Uh, But my point is more like, they will, they will, they won't go home for some of those dreaming people. They won't go home with unfinished work for during that day. So some days they will stay later because they have that train of thought that they want to conclude for that day. And we've all done this, right? We've all yeah. been like, oh, I'm not. I mean, like Sandy said, some of us are young, so we don't have priorities or anything. But oh, okay, like I'm gonna stay one or two hours. I, I can finish that project, or I can finish that part. Or write that piece, and we're inspired, and, and and then I'll make good progress, and next morning I can move on to something else instead of postponing that to the next morning where I might lose it, um, I might lose this friend. So we've all done, we've all done that. We've all pulled weeks sometimes also where it's, you know, you enjoy putting a lot of hours into what you're doing because it matters to you. Problem is in the game industry that that goes on for a year, an entire year. That's not like a full right. year cycle, an annual cycle. That's that's you. That's you having to sacrifice Easter, family at Thanksgiving, uh, summer vacation, or maybe winter vacation, Christmas. Uh, you know, it's uh, it can't be like it, it. It could be, and everybody will accept that. Nobody will even comment on it if it's from time to time. 
it happens. That's what that's what everybody you know. That's what nobody's complaining about that. But it's a little bit pushed to the extreme, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because the IDGA uh, and and Kate Edwards, they also were pointing out that days would be that people would be crunching for the light at the end of the tunnel, which is shipping the game. But so often now, that is not the end for those people, right? In today's gaming landscape, once you ship the game, it is now start working on the patch, and then the the designers and the content creators, you need to be working on DLC, and you need to yeah. be working on DLC for the next six months to a year. So, uh, so just remember that... You know, we like receiving content updates for our game, or people seem to. I don't really care. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but this is if – you, if you are going to have a situation where it is more like – I mean, we've worked in web software, for example. Software as a service where you can release any day and just kind of improve it and work on it any day, every day. Not that you necessarily would do that in, in a lot of companies, but you would say maybe every Friday we're going to release something. I've been in environments like that. So as the games industry becomes more like that and less like work really hard, release it, oh, now take two months off like a summer vacation or something, You at, in that scenario you kind of know what you're crunching for, but in the scenario of, all right, it's done, now get to work on the next thing, it it's totally not sustainable. You are going to break people who could be making you good games for years if you keep doing that to them. Mm-hmm. But that also comes from public pressure. We saw it with a Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed was a great game. Assassin's Creed 2 was an even better game. Brotherhood was so good. Yep. And then Ubisoft went, we need to have a game every year. Get this out every, every year. Mm-hmm. So then you've got different uh, game development companies working on the same game and different off cycles, and then you're bombarding the public with not so great games. But as the uh, tongue tied, but but people are still asking for more of the same game. So when's the next right. Assassin's Creed coming out? I really want to play it. When's the next game coming out? When and you've got reviewers and journalists and games websites going, this game is kind of crap, but I can't wait for the next one. And we don't give people enough time to relax. We don't say that with movies. We're like, oh, The Revenant was good, but when's the sequel to that coming out? Right. right, that's a very good point. That's, that's, that's not a, a very thing. Good point. And most of the people in the movie industry are like, oh, I want one, I just need one revenant, that's it. But that's a very good point, and I I hate to mention the game all uh, every episodes, but I have to because I've been I've been following it. Um, the, the, the developers at Bungie and the people that work on Destiny are um, having a really hard time because they have created such hope and such hype around this game and I have built such a community that the uh, expectations are really set high from the very beginning. Um, the mechanics, what the game could offer, the world that is offered to us, the, the new franchise, that fresh, you know, that fresh thing that and all those, all this marketing that has been put on before the game 
and uh, and shortly after launch of the first edition in September 2015, 2014. Um, and the way they've worked on DLCs the first year and that model that wasn't, they realized in the middle of it that that model of doing a release and two DLC per year would not allow their team, I think there are 300 people in that company. Mm -hmm. um, and for people out there that don't really know, I feel like it's a pretty small amount for a game of that size. Yeah. Uh, compared to something like Blizzard that had, I mean, you know, fair enough, it's a different scale. It's more more games than just one franchise, but still. Um, it's, they, they, and they have, so they have had a change of CEO, and I feel like they've reorganized the team. They have created new teams while the game was still being updated and the content still had to be delivered. And I feel like the drought we were mentioning and had been making fun of last week or two weeks ago when I was presenting the update was the side effect of that, is that they were not having a, a, a model that was working, doing two DLCs and a, and a game release per year. It wasn't working. It wasn't working for the employees. Um, it was too many, too much expectations. And that's where now we had a drought where it was only small updates and game designers fully focused on a Destiny 2 full game and maybe another, maybe like more um, prepped um, patches or updates along the way. Um, but I feel like my, my point is that right now this year is the we have a drought and people are very critical about it. And I always look at every update that they put out, um, the update that they put out in April, you already hear people being like, that's it, that's all. Yeah, but it's free, dude. And, oh, but you have an email, so you want more money? Yeah, they have to get paid, too. Fortunately, if you don't right. want to buy it, you don't have to buy it. And the update, as much as it's short, it's free. Uh, and But the community, like, gives them such a hard time on that. Uh, while those guys are really dedicated and, and, and motivated and passionate about their game and the franchise that they're building and the story and the lore that they're developing, um, the only thing that I want to say is that this drought line that right now is happening and they've just pivoted and changed their way of working around the game. And that's still, I feel, very new uh, for games on how to tackle that post-release, those post-release cycle, how to do the best to provide consistent content that will satisfy people. It's still something very in the exploration steps where um, the demand is very high, the expectations are very high, and publishers and managers are still trying their best to answer that um, without really being smart about the way of doing it. Right. And you know what? I think you've exposed something to me in what you're saying, and I think it's good to call out that there is a there is crunch in, in all these things, these deadline-based things, are so... There's so many people at, that are kind of at fault for these sort of things. The business is one of them for how they treat their employees or what deadlines they set. And, and when a business says to you, Destiny's going to be the biggest thing ever and it's going to have regular content right. updates when right. you make that promise to people, then... Now put, you, now put yourself for a minute, put yourself in the 
just the low like low tier engineer that worked on that on that game for the last four years or three years and you hear the you hear the yeah the publisher create that whole marketing in the six months i guess before release or a year before release yeah and you're like oh boy oh boy i it better be good oh right? boy uh, okay I what i'm what i, oh, what I get myself into yeah <laughs> <Jigglypuff>. <laughs> And then, right, so after that le- amount of blame is leveled, now the next set of blame is going to be on us, the gamers in the community, right? Mm-hmm. You were using the term the content drought probably because it's just the term that the entire Destiny community has been using. But what the heck is a drought? Like, why? who said that a game needs to be always having new stuff constantly forever right until there's another. that's one thing too yeah that's one thing that's where the community goes too far and is like hey guys like deliver give me more give me more give me more dude play another game even some developers of bungie have been like guys it's okay go play another game we're happy we love games right. we don't just love destiny ourselves yeah there's nobody's sitting there going man there. i'm on year 20 of the super mario world content drought <laughs> <laughs> they just won't release any new lo- although true. i guess mario maker now there's never any content drought for mario ever is there but i uh, mean i guess to, to give a, to give a little conclusion though then for people to document themselves what would you recommend doing i think you have to voice how you feel you have to say hey this isn't working no one really knows what the problem is if people are stay- staying silent yeah. And if you're upset about something, but you love something so much, just talk about it and say, hey, this is a conversation I want to have. I really want to spend time with my family or I really want to do this, but I really want to work on this game also. Can we have a, a middle ground? Can we hire more people? Can we get better training? Can we, what can we do? It's, it's, um, it has to be a conversation. And you have to bring these things up because how does how does a employer or a boss or a leader actually know that there's a problem if they're not being told? If they don't know that it is, they're like, well, everything's working fine. It's like, oh, wait, it's not. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you don't give me enough free time. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, I would have given you that free time if you told me. Like, just talk to me. And if your leader isn't the kind of person who's willing to hear you out. There are plenty of opportunities to kind of move in and change where you are and, and work on something that really does make you happy with all the tools that we have. This goes back to our chat with, with Ryan from IGN. There's so many tools. There's so much out there. You don't need to work on a AAA title. You can go out and do it on your own. And, and be happy and be successful. There's the Supergiant Games was a team of three people when Bastion yeah. came out. Now I'm not really sure how, how big they are, 6, but I'm pretty no, sure I'm they're not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're not that big. So it, it is possible. There are other avenues. It just depends on what makes you the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Sandy. And for my summary and to cap this, I will add to uh, speak up with two things. Number one is don't be afraid to be uncomfortable. You know, 
standing up to somebody like this Alex St. John character is never going to feel comfortable. And especially if you if you're in a place where the leadership isn't listening to you and you have to be vocal around it with your peers or try and garner support. These are not comfortable things to do, but they may be necessary things to do. Um, and I, I would also add that gamers, let's try and be as patient and as understanding as possible. We complain when these things are delayed, but if the difference is these people burning themselves out and you never getting to have a new game or they're incapable of making a new game for you again or you get your Uncharted on time, or you get your Halo on time, you know, what is the real cost associated with those things? So be patient, you know, and kind. Guys, remember, the best thing you can do for Pixels Weekly is, of course, review us on iTunes. Just go to the website. There's a link to iTunes. Or go to iTunes.com and search for... Or iTunes.com or <laughs> five stars. Go to iTunes and, and search for Pixels Weekly. You'll find us, and uh, we will uh, we'll love you forever. And also, uh, next week is our tenth episode, and we have a little surprise in store for you. Maybe a little gift uh, for being such a loyal listener. Oh, you've given us ten weeks of your time. So sweet. That's we don't know so yet what's going to be. We don't know what it's going to be, but we'll but that's how we go. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> that's how we do it. By we, it's all on Yannick. So tweet at Yannick and tell him to tell, tell you what, what you it want. is. Tweet at Pixels Cast. Tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. Beautiful. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a big promise. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Have <laughs> uh, fun, bro. Yannick. All right. With love and frustration, <laughs> Happy to be your treat, uh, treat each other with kindness. And until next time, aloha. <laughs> All of love. And Good maybe day. I'll see you next week. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs>